Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Good morning again. Every once in a while, I think it's important to go back to the basics, to the, to the foundation that we form our faith on. And I want to do that today. I, um, I want to look at what, what is it the gospel mean? Let, well, I want to understand the gospel. And rather than using one of the verses that we traditionally go to, I want to use a verse that maybe is a little bit outside our, our parameter. I want to look at James chapter 1, verse 18. But we want to take it in context because, like I, I said last week, you can't just pull a verse out of the air and look at it and have, have full understanding. You have to look at it in the context of, of how it was written. So let's look at James chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 13. It says, And remember, when you were being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all of the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. Now, this is a simple verse, but it is a verse that speaks to the wonder of new birth. Now, in the Old Testament, it's written, Be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. And then Peter quotes that in his epistle, and he says, Be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. In order to enter the presence of God, people must be holy. Now, we humans are not holy. That's obvious, I think. Uh, we are not righteous, and in fact, we are sinful. We do not think right. We do not speak right. We do not act right. We do not do right. And we don't rightly understand God. We don't understand God's truth. We don't understand God's revelation. We don't understand God's law, and we don't understand God's will. And even though humans are not holy and we are not right with God, for the most part, people don't recognize that they are not holy. They tend to think that they are somehow in themselves righteous and holy and, uh, and, and able to, to look God eye to eye. They don't agree with the diagnosis of the Bible that we are all sinful. Now, what James is saying to us here in, in his first chapter is that God cannot have any part 
of our sinfulness. And it, if if we when we when we have sin in our lives, we can't blame anybody but ourselves. Now, in verse 13, he says, no one can say I'm tempted by God for God can't be tempted with evil. We can't blame God for evil because if we stop and really understand it, God and evil, God and sin are polar opposites. They are as far apart as as far apart can get. In verse 14, it, it, what he says is that the problem is us. It, it's our sinful nature. Human nature is such that we are tempted and drawn away by our own lusts and our desires. Then in verses 15 and 16, what he's, he's talking about the nature, the, the substance of, of our sinful nature. He says, lust, when it conceives, get, brings forth sin, and sin produces death. The problem exists within us. The nature of, of humanity is our sinful desires, our lust, our passions. That's what's wrong. It's, and it's nothing to do with God. Verse 17 kind of goes back to that. It, it goes back to discussing God's nature. He says, from God comes every good gift, every perfect gift. And, and because God is absolutely perfect, there's never a shift in God. There's not going to be a time or a day or a situation where God is out of step, where, where God is not right. God never changes we change. Our society changes. We change the rules. Things that used to be wrong become right, like homosexuality or, or some of those sort of sins. Though It's always wrong. It will always be wrong. And God never changes. Now, in verse 18, he sums up this argument by saying the nature of salvation, our new birth, shows us that God does not lead us into sin. Verse 18, God chose to give us. That's important for us to understand. It is by God's will, by God's desire that he gives us new birth. And he does it through his true word. So the purpose of new life is to create for us a, an ability for, for us to do good, to do right, not to do evil. To give us victory over sin is, is supposed to be the, a part of our, our new nature. God is in no way ever involved in sinfulness. He cannot be mixed up with anything that is evil, that is wrong. So the, the nature of God is such that he only gives good gifts. And when God touches a person's life, it's to produce life, not death, to produce righteousness, not sin. God is not and cannot be involved in leading us, in tempting us, in drawing us to do something that is sinful. So 
as we look at verse 18 with that kind of understanding, what James is doing is he is using new birth, salvation as an example to show that God doesn't lead people to do sinful things, that just the opposite is actually the case, that God leads people to do what is right and what is holy and what is good. Without, remember this, without holiness, no one can enter into God's presence. No one will ever enter into God's presence. Humans are unholy, sinful, and everything about our nature produces evil. Romans 3 verses 9 and 10 says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. What he is, this literally says is that we are under the mastery of sin, that there is not one person going clear back to Adam that is righteous. And that word righteous, we use it in church all the time. But what the word righteous means is to be right with God. God is the standard. And for a person to be righteous, it means that they are measured by God's standard and they are right with God's standard. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, John 3, Jesus says, men love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So here, man, humanity is being characterized as being dead, spiritually speaking. We walk according to the, the course of this world. In other words, we live according to an evil, godless system. And the person that is in charge of this godless system is none other than Satan, the devil. Now, this is basic gospel information. Uh, the reason that most people don't believe the gospel is because everything that I'm saying, they, re, they are repelled by. They say, no, I, I don't want to hear this about me. I, I don't accept that I am a sinful person, that I am an evil person on the inside. I think I'm a good person. But remember, righteousness is God as a perfect standard. No one measures up to the perfect standard of God. Therefore, by definition, all of us, all of us are evil. We, we all stand accused of, of this um, failing before God. Humanity functions 
in the lust of, of our flesh, our desires. We, we function by the desires of our flesh. And because we are unholy, our, our minds are naturally subject to God's judgment. That, what that means is that all humanity is headed for judgment or going to be the object of God's judgment. Now, again, this is basic, basic information for what the message of salvation is all about. A lot of people say, well, I, I recognize that, but I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to I'm going to try to um, change myself so that I become acceptable. And quite honestly, that's what religion is all about. Religion is nothing other than people saying, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff so that when God looks at me, he'll be he'll be happy with the, the improvements that I've made in myself. Religion is dead. There is no salvation in religion. If you are basing your salvation on your religion, you're as good as going to hell. We need to understand that. Salvation can only come from God. And when we try to change ourselves, what we're doing is we're just wasting our, our time. A, a dead person can't obey God. A, a dead person can't resurrect themselves. What is needed is to be newborn, to be recreated. A new heart, a new inner person, a new life. Since holiness is the only condition that is acceptable by God, all people have to have a brand new life. When we talk about the gospel or the new birth, we're not talking about adding something to who we already are or taking something away from who we are. We're talking about total transformation. A right relationship with God demands a new person. The unredeemed person, the unsaved person can't receive anything from God because they're dead. Uh, you know, a corpse can't respond. If you poke a corpse, it doesn't flinch because it's dead. So what is needed is new life, new birth. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Christ has made us alive and raised us up. This is the idea of the resurrection from the dead, new life, new birth. 
In Romans 6, and this is, this is part of our baptism picture, says that when you put your faith in Christ, you die to your old self and you rise to walk in newness of life. That's, that's what per, every person has to have, newness of life. The old life has to be totally done away with and a new life is to come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have gone away, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So new birth is a must. It is essential. It is God coming down to the center and by his grace, bringing new life to that center cleansing that sinner and planting his spirit into that sinner so that the, the cleansing of the sinner opens up a relationship with God. And, and when that happens, God, it, by planting his spirit in a person, he gives that person power to live by the will of God. Now, getting back to James 1.18 We've, we've already kind of established now that people cannot know God without the presence of God's holiness. Man is not holy. Man needs to be, ha have a divine intervention from God who by his spirit comes in, he washes away our sin, he plants a new life in us, and, and it gives us his spirit to empower us so that we can live a life of obedience. This is a sovereign act of God. It's what we call regeneration or new birth. But what is this regeneration? It's God bringing forth, giving birth as a new being, becoming a new creation. Again, too often people go through the motions. They say, well, yes, I, I want Jesus in my life, but they don't, they don't really have that transformation. And as a result, they, they, they look on the outside like maybe they're following God, but on the inside, they're still dark. They're still broken. Peter says we become partakers of the divine nature. God gives us his own life, his own righteous character, his own holiness is implanted in us. And as a, as a Christian, sometimes my mouth doesn't move as fast as other parts. Think about this. Uh, this is so mind-boggling. As a born-again child of God, a person actually possesses the very nature of God. That is so fantastic. That should, that should get us excited. 2 Peter 1.4 says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. 
God plants in the person a new life principle, a new disposition, and enables us to keep and obey God's laws. No longer do we have to be subject to sin. And, and if you want to read about that, that's Romans chapter 6. Sin no longer has power over our lives. We now follow a new master. Remember, we already mentioned that Satan is the master of this earth. And all people who are not born again are under the mastery of Satan. Whether you think it or not, whether you agree with it or not, it is what it is. When a person is born again, when a person is regenerated, they have a new master. All of us have a master. We need to understand that. There are no free spirits out there. You are either under the mastery of Satan or you are under the mastery of Jesus Christ. That, that is the only option. If I'm saved, if you're saved, who gets the credit for that? God gets the credit. John 1 verses 12 and 13 says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You believe and you receive because it is the will of God. You believe you receive, yes, but it is because of God's grace that that is even extended to us. Think about it from this way. No child has ever been born into the world because the child wanted to be born. The child doesn't have any say over it. It is, it is the will of the parents for that child to be born. Spiritual birth is exactly the same. It is a decision made by God. Jesus said, no man comes to me except the Father draws him. Because God has willed to give us new life and a, a holy nature, it is absolutely impossible that he would ever want us or draw us to do something sinful. Now, I'm continuing in James 1, 18. When, when he says that it is of his will, what, what's important for us to understand is that it's not just a wish on God's part. God never looked up there and said, boy, I, I sure would like for so-and-so you know, -so to, to come to salvation. I, I hope I can make that happen. Uh, when God wills it, it happens. It is a statement of accomplishment. God doesn't just wish. And that it's what is known as God's productive will. If God wills it, it happens. And, and this is also why, and this is an important thing to understand, this is why we cannot lose our salvation. We cannot undo what God has decreed. If God says, I want this individual saved, they're saved. And we can't undo what God wills. It's not a wish on God's part. God desires and, and therefore it produces the result that he desires. 
So what is regeneration? It is God recreating us. Who does it? God does it by his sovereign power. And we respond by his sovereign grace. So how does it happen? Verse 18 says, he chose to give us birth um, to, to us by giving us his true word or literally by truth's word. That's the Bible. That's God's word, scripture. God regenerates us and he washes us and he cleanses us and he gives us a, a new life and he plants his spirit within us. And this is all done through the power and the ministry of the word of God given, given to us by the Holy Spirit. People are born again by the power of the word of God. This is why it is so critical that pastors and churches preach the word of God because salvation doesn't come through pep talks. Salvation doesn't come through words of encouragement. Salvation comes through the word of God. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. It is the word that works in a believing heart. God moves to redeem and a person responds to being exposed to the word of God because God gives them the faith to believe and then salvation takes place. It happens through the word of God. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through his Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Back in James 1, 18, it says that he gave us birth by giving us his true word. If you take that and you borrow from Colossians 1.5, which I just, um, just read, it wouldn't be out of line at all to say that we are born again with the word of truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that people are saved when God sets out to give them new life, a new nature to wash away their sins and to place his spirit within us. We are born again by the word of truth and the word of truth that saves us is the gospel. And the gospel is the story that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So God chose to redeem us. He cleanses us and he places his spirit within us in order that in order for that to happen, the heart must comprehend the gospel message. And and that comprehension mixed with faith brings about new life. Now, 
If anything is to change in us, God has to do it because only God has the ability to bring life out of death. Now, that leaves us with a question. Why? Why does God bother? Honestly, God could have just made us so that we didn't ever mess up to begin with and we just obediently do our thing. Why does God give us this new birth? Well, look at the last of verse 18. He says he chose to give us uh, to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we out of all creation became his prized possessions. Remember, we have a master. And so we become God's prized possessions. Now, God wants a new creation made out of each of us so that we become his prized possessions. Now, some translations use the word first fruits rather than prized possessions. And what that means is that God wants us to be the first and the best. He says, I want you to be the first and the best of a whole crop yet to come. Now, listen carefully. Do you realize that the world is not going to remain as as it is? This world is slated to be destroyed. The Bible tells us that the Lord is going to recreate this earth to his own liking. He's going to make a new creation out of everything. That means men, women, dirt, mountains, trees, rocks, oceans, everything. Dogs? Maybe, no cats. We, <laughs> we, we are to be a sample of what is yet to come. We are, we are the prototype, if you will, of the new creation. If you want to know what the future is going to be like, it's going to be like us who are recreated on the inside. And it's going to be like, like Jesus after he rose from the dead on the outside. The first fruits of a full crop to come. Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning, waiting for this new creation. So the new life we have in Christ is a taste of God's future glory when the whole universe is going to be recreated. Regeneration is, is recreation, making us new from the inside. Why does God do it? Because he loves us and because he wants us to be his prized possession. But it, make no mistake, it's God that's doing it. It happens when we hear with believing hearts and we respond to the gospel message. And God even gives us the faith to be able to do that. When we do, he transforms us. And he does it so that we will be standing out to the world as living examples of what happens when God recreates. Now, to put it back in the context of James, there's no way that God would ever want anyone to sin. 
No way that he is pleased with sin. He recreates us so that we can be a model of the sinless life. He gives us the ability to no longer fall into sin. That's what he wants. When you sin, when I sin, we don't blame God. We, we put the blame where it belongs in our broken flesh. Our flesh is, is not something that we should elevate. It's something that we should, we should squash. I was so glad that we sang about heaven this morning, that the choir sang about heaven. We need to long for the day of heaven where, where our flesh will be done away with and we will be able to spend eternity celebrating God and his creation. Let's pray. Father, you make everything possible. Our salvation is only because of you. And I give you the praise and the glory and the credit. And I just pray right now that if there is anybody who is, is watching this service, whether they're sitting here in this room or whether they're at home and they're watching on, on TV or their computer, God, I just pray that you would help each and every one of us to honestly examine our hearts to hear what your spirit is saying. And Father, if they realize, if they recognize that they have not been born new, been recreated, that today they would, you would give them the faith to step out and say, God, please give me new life. Give me that new heart, that new beginning. Lord Jesus, it is about you and you alone. And so I just pray for your will to be done in each of our lives. And I pray in, in your mighty name. Amen.